earliest memory of Dirk, it was probably probably a year he was playing with Steve Nash. I kept hearing somebody named Dirt, like with a T. So I was like, why is there a dude named Dirt in the league? And then I, you know, I found out he was actually pretty good. So. All right, it's some Stimmons Freeway Hot Boys. Southwest Dallas stand up. I'm more of a Tom Landry freeway. Because 30 is my domain machine. Well, you're about I'll to probably move. die on 30. Well, I mean, if you multiply the uh, the opportunities times right. how scary that highway can be, that's the closest I've been to dying is on 30 for sure. I think it might be my top three. You ever been in a real car wreck? Oh, yeah. I, could, I think I remember you telling me this, but I couldn't remember. But I've been in, I've totaled a car. Yeah. For sure. I uh, drove it into a dang tree. Uh, I've been on 30 when a piece of plywood flew up, Ooh. smashed through the grill of my car, and then through the radiator. Ooh. Yeah, it was, it was about How'd you handle bad. that? Uh, you just kind of lock up, and you're like, that's a piece of plywood flying in the air, and I think my current trajectory is going to hit me. Yeah, that's going to hit me. And it was just a matter of, does it hit this split second and smash the front of my car, or this split, split second and smash out my windshield? Yeah. I had a... Uh this is a very mid cities thing to have happen to you, but I rolled an explorer. Yeah, that's very mid cities. <laughs> that's that's the most. That is mid-cities. straight out of eight one seven. No, Ro- no, rolled your explorer and uh, broke my jaw. Oh no! I've and never at had the a broken time, jaw. well, because when you're rolling, your face, you know, you, my my body tensed up and kind of locked, but my face mm-hmm. slammed into the you know the window. Yeah, and I uh, went to the hospital. And they were like, yeah, your jaw's broken. We need you to come back tomorrow to have it wired shut. I'm like, I bet. <laughs> nah, you'll yeah, never see, you. see me again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure, for sure. <laughs> it, like, yeah, yeah. it still hurts sometimes. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. I'm trying to bulk up. <laughs> You're not wiring my jaw shut at 19. Well, then not you, happening. You could have had a great rap career out of that. That's true. I could have gone right through the wire. You could have beat Kanye to the punch and been the jaw wired shut rapper. Not sure of, if that would have Of hit. our era. I don't know if that would have hit for me or not, but I probably... Would have been like if I could do podcasts like that, maybe I could really take off. <laughs> really, really add something to the experience that I know he can't open his mouth all the way. That's right, and he's kind of like this the whole time. You got to talk to DeAndre. I did. I got to hang out at a golf course with DeAndre. That's pretty pretty wild, man. Judging by uh, his golf swing and his general just not really giving a crap about golf, I'm gonna assume that was uh, one of the very few times he's ever been to a golf course. That would make he and I one and the same. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was fun. He's a cool dude. I really like him. Um, just a uh, a real real nice fella. We'll joke on you. We'll, uh, we'll be very welcoming. You can say something. Like some of the guys, just being professional athletes, you can tell when someone just looks straight through you. Right. And like you can like add something to the conversation and they don't respond. You know how that goes. Everyone knows. Oh, how. yeah. Everyone knows how whenever me. you... Whenever you're getting looked straight through. Yeah. Um, and that happens. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's You're way more important than me. You don't have to react to one thing I say. DeAndre's always engaging. 
you say anything, throw anything into a conversation, he'll be like, but yeah, no, I feel you. I yeah. got you. And I'm like, all right, you're a little bit different, bro. And he's got a giant Willie Nelson tattoo on the back of his calf. He's got a giant Bob Marley tattoo on the thigh. Uh, I think he's got his mom on the other one. Dude, he's Texas. He's the most Texas dude. He's more Texas than I am by far. And that's hard. That is hard to do. I'm excited. I'm excited that he's here. Yeah. So if you haven't heard that podcast, uh, you can go check that out. It's labeled The Four Pointer with DeAndre Jordan. It's me and Bobby with about uh, 12 minutes of DeAndre's time at uh, Hackberry. (laughs) We didn't get around. I kind of cut out some of the jokes that were leading into the the intro he made. But I was like, this feels like a a P. Diddy and... uh, what was his buddy that used to, the one that turned into a preacher? Uh, Wait, not Fonsworth Bentley? <laughs> no, no, no. The oh, one, Mace? Mace, Mace. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, this feels like a P. Diddy and Mace video. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, he was like, let me hit the intro. And I'm like. Dude, Mace was so untouchable for Mace about five years. Mace was incredible, man. Huge bring, fan. Bring that back. If you still got that juice, Mace, bring it on back. Uh, but yeah, we did a, we did a fake like. Mason P. Diddy on the, at the British Open for like five minutes there, and he's like, let me, let me hit this intro. And I'm like, okay, go ahead. Um, so, yeah, he's a, he's a great dude. I think uh, his personality is going to fit in very well next to Dirk, next to Dennis. Um, just a swell guy, and I can't wait to see him play uh, basketball for them Dallas basketball Mavericks. Uh, but it's the four-pointer, episode two. Thank you if you joined us for the ride on episode one and uh, checked out the DeAndre Jordan episode already. Uh, this episode, we are going to focus on, I guess it's news. I was in a room, I was locked in a little room for media day, so I didn't even know Rick had said this or confirmed this. Um, but we all kind of, if you, if you, if you give a crap about staying, uh, with the day to day with the team, you kind of assumed Derek's probably coming off the bench, right? And then Rick confirmed it during media day, during his little, uh, press conference, uh, where people get to throw throw all kinds of questions at him the 10 minutes that they get and uh he confirmed it he said Dirk's coming off the bench and I was surprised that everyone there was a there was a buzz around the uh the back hallways of the AAC that you know Rick just said it Rick just said Dirk's coming off the bench and I was like yeah I assume that but cool so we're gonna dive into that not necessarily we've talked a lot about the idea of Dirk coming off the bench and how that would work I think we even did it last episode mm-hmm. but the idea of Luke at four is kind of a mind bender for a lot of folks so we're gonna dive into that um, what's going on at training camp, which I've been there the last two days and, uh, talked to the guys, seen every minute of every press conference that's happened and what's actually happening right now, uh, before they actually let us in the room, uh, where they're just shooting free throws. I think if you're only having four or five days, it's not, it's disingenuous to call it training camp. Yeah. It needs to be called like, what was like the short version for church kids, like Awanas or something like that? Like, <laughs> yeah, training Awanas. Or I don't yeah. remember how, what it's called, but it's just a brief. It's so a mini brief. camp. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before the first uh, preseason game. So we're less than a week from actual Mavericks basketball on a hardwood at the AAC, where there's a clock ticking down and they're keeping score, right. which is very cool. Uh, Beijing Ducks. You shouldn't even come over here. We're going to beat you so badly. Stay home. You don't want none of this, even if it's an exhibition. And then uh, they go to China for six, seven days, which is going to be very confusing. Go check out Elton Brand's boys. Yeah. Two times with the Sixers. One's a home game, one's an away game, basically uh, so they can tell one of the teams uh, to run (laughs) this game. And then the next one, hey, Sixers, you run this game. 
And they come back and they play the Hornets here, I believe. I believe it's here. Yeah, it's here. Uh, Hornets for the final preseason game. So a really weird preseason for the Mavs this uh, this year. And then October 17th, so we're less than a month away from real basketball happening. So that's the schedule. That's what we're doing. Um, and also this episode, I forgot to tease, we're going to talk about five storylines that I think we will be discussing a year from now. Okay. So exactly one year from now. On the eve of preseason basketball starting, these are kind of uh, wild speculations uh, of how the league will look one year from now, but I figured it'd be fun to to sit down, because we really have this much time. Honestly, whenever games start rolling, you're talking about the games, you're yep. talking about what lineups are happening, how DeAndre's looking, what's Luka, you know, the Luka uh, constant update of your your confidence and his all-star capabilities are going to be, it's going to be like a minute-by-minute minute <laughs> meter. So we're not going to have a lot of time to talk about what we think of the league, uh, how we feel about what's going to happen over the next calendar year. So this seemed like a good point to do that. Um, if you haven't heard the DeAndre episode, please check that out. If you haven't heard the uh, the Ian Thompson podcast, the guy that wrote The Soul of Basketball, joined me and Bobby for about an hour. That was awesome. That was like genuinely super fun to talk to that guy. About the experience of putting that book together, which I guess took him like six and a half years. Jeez. Um, yeah, dedicated. Uh, and it's an awesome book in itself if you want to go buy that. The Soul of Basketball by Ian Thompson. No P in Thompson. M-S-E-N on the end of that. If you want to check it out on uh, iBooks, iBook or Amazon or wherever you want to buy your books. Um, all right, there's all the, uh, there's all the particulars. So let's start with a tweet of the day. And this one's from friend of, I guess just friend of ours in general. This guy's always interactive with us on uh, on Twitter. Zach Burner. Um, his tweet, it's at, uh, at Zach Burner. That's easy. If Luca plays the four, I feel like DSJ Luca pick and roll will be really effective. Where do you imagine the mass following an offensive, de- offensive rating and defensive rating? And where do you think they fall in pace? I feel like it has to be more up-tempo with that personnel. So first of all, the Mavs somehow last season cobbled together a league average defensive unit with uh, a team that won, you know, I forget the number off the top of my head right now, but not a uh, league. Wins? 24. Yeah, 24. I was going to say 23. 24 win team put together a league average defense. Um, And what kind of saved their offensive rating from being a disaster was the bench unit, as it has I don't know, year after year, the bench unit's been great. It kind of depends on what you get out of the starters. So I'm going to tell you, I believe they can be top 16, 17 in defensive rating this year. Uh, I'm going to go a little higher than that. A little higher? Because they're playing a real center. I mean, they had to gum it up a little bit last year to get to that number. They played a lot of, like, junk sort of defenses. Mm -hmm. They... um, you know, slow, they don't give up any points down. in the paint. Yeah, exactly. But this is adjusted, though. Yeah. So even for the adjusted, I think they'll be a little bit higher. If they were 17 last year, playing a real defense with a real center, uh, and I don't think your bench unit's going to be terrible defensively. I mean, just because you're moving Dirk there, um, you're essentially moving Dirk there and not playing Salah. Yeah. Not playing whoever you're, you know what I mean? Like whoever mm-hmm. that non-pal big is, that's now Dirk. Yeah. And... I don't think that's just going to result in them hemorrhaging points because, you know, he's not good defensively, but he's not terrible. Well, he probably is terrible, but he's not going to be terrible whenever he's 
playing a backup big, I guess. He's terrible right. when he's trying to guard starting centers at times, but I think they'll be I think their defense will probably be better than their than their offense. Um so I'd say I, I could see him moving up to like twelve or thirteen on defense and then offensively, I think I'm hoping for like sixteen or seventeen. Yeah. Which one do you think if you had to put money on which one's higher? Defense. Defensive rating? Yes. The only thing that worries me, and it's not even a real worry, it's just um so Maxie started a lot last year. Yeah. Um good defender, by the way. Just solid across the board. Nothing spectacular, but he's also not gonna get cooked uh if you put him in the right matchup. Then you're sliding Luca in there. Yeah. Right. So if Luca's playing the four, then you got DeAndre. I'm not so much worried about um guys getting into the lane, raising hell, um, you know, uh taking advantage of what we did last year basically is guys didn't get to the rim all that much, but when they did, they made the shot. Oh yeah. They made every single attempt at the rim last year. That's gonna be way different. So they're shooting more mid range, I would assume. Shooting more threes. The defense? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the the opposing team, your opponent. And so I think it's going to be on Barnes and on Luka uh, whenever they do get stretched out to the three-point line to defend it well. And so I think it's going to be a little bit volatile defensively. But all, as, a, as the starting unit goes, I think it's probably about where it was last year. I think it's 15-16. Offense is completely um, hinging on how quickly Luca becomes what we think Luca can be to me. Yeah, I think in the long run it probably will be, but I they do have enough punch, I think, now without him even to still score at least at the at the, the rate they were at last year. Now, they have to play faster. They were 26th in pace last yeah, year. Yeah, that's changing. They had the fewest amount of transition points mm-hmm. uh, per game. Just never. You know, they, they used – I believe they – as far as like the time used on shot clock for the whole season, I think they were first. Yeah. Um, well, that so, makes sense because yeah. you're not getting any offensive boards, so you have one shot this possession. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you have one. No rebounds, no putbacks um, You know, for the shot clock to reset. And then on top of that, their actions were not really actions. <laughs> yeah. They were mostly just kind of letting somebody go to work, which mm-hmm. takes time. Yeah. Post-ups take time. A lot of ISO ISOs barns. take time. A lot of ISO barns last year. So I think I'm actually more interested in some of their like more peripheral numbers outside of just offense, defense, and, and pace. We talked about this last week, but there's no reason for them to not be back to being a top three or four pick-and-roll team in the league. Yeah, pick-and-roll, points in the paint, and second-chance points yeah. offensively, I think is the stuff that actually defines your team, you know what I mean? Uh, makes your offensive identity, the stuff that – carries over from night to night, I think, is are in those categories. And I looked up uh, DeAndre just as a player. He's never been on an offense in the last seven years that was worse than eighth in offensive rating. Now, is that him? Obviously, the talent around him was pretty exceptional with Chris Paul. Um, you know, Lou Williams was there a little while, uh, Jamal Crawford, Blake Griffin. But Blake missed a lot of time. Yeah. So is that... What's the biggest factor going in that? I think it would say I think you'd say Chris Paul, number one. And then number two, I'd be willing to say DeAndre Jordan is the biggest influencer of an offensive unit that didn't dip below eighth in the last seven years. So I don't know if we have a full appreciation for what a legit pick and roll big can mean to your offense. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's why I think uh I think their offense will be have more punch to it, and I think they can get by without Doncic immediately being elite. Because you can run that one five over and over and over, 
Mm-hmm. And also, it's kind of nice that we've reached this point. Um, as I said last week, I know a lot of people kind of checked out on the season late last year, but Barnes was showing real progress. Yeah. And he was doing it while playing the four. So I don't really know, as we can get into, you know, where's Luca going to play? I don't know if it'll be four or three because it's mostly based on who you're guarding. Yeah. I think he'll probably guard more threes and let Barnes handle most of the fours. But I also think that they will absolutely run pick and roll a ton with Luca and Dennis. Yeah. Because the thing I like about that too is that if they do run it that way, Doncic is capable of rolling, catching, and finding people in the corners, which is part of what makes like Draymond Green so great. Mm-hmm. Is that when he gets downhill and the defender who is on the shooter has to come tag him, he can catch and pass on the move. Yeah. And I saw Doncic do a ton of that in what I've seen of him. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he, despite not really being the point guard, ends up with like a five, five and a half assist rookie season. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility at all. And then you still have Barnes, like I said, who can handle some of your, uh, some of the offensive load. So I, I don't, it didn't really, to me, there was no other solution other than Dirk going to the bench. Like we had kicked around. Like what if West came off the bench? This is to me the preferred solution. Yeah, I think to, I think to play that lineup how we have it, and then we can talk about who's guarding who. But yeah, I think Wes would make more sense coming off the bench for both units. I think Wes helps the bench unit more, um, and then you can kind of carry him over into other lineups, which are mixtures of bench and starters. Yeah, but the problem is who is Dirk guarding then if yeah. he's out there with DeAndre? I just I still don't really. You know, like, look at this list you, you gave us here, right? Mm-hmm. You want to go through this? on yeah, who, yeah. Probably whoever. Somebody's going to have to guard the likes of Randall, Aldridge, Favors, uh, Aminu. Yeah. Your Millsap, Aminu. Draymond, Kyle Kuz- Like, Dirk is not guarding those guys. No, but I feel like the, the worry of that is he's going to get out-muscled and get destroyed on the boards. But I feel like when you have a guy like DeAndre, I saw so many times last year whenever an elite center would come in here, you automatically throw your two bigs at the center. Yeah, that's true. To start boxing that guy out. So, I think Wes coming off the bench would have made more sense. It would have helped the second unit more in terms of getting stops. But I feel like that's like worrying about the wrong thing. Yeah. You know? Like, I feel like you need Wes. Rick said it. He said, we need Wes in the starting lineup so he can, you know, go fetch the other team's best wing player. And then DeAndre is your rim protector. And then the other guys, you're just hoping, okay, just be average. Just be average defensively. Yeah, and I think that I'd be interested in what you think about this is whether or not you think Luka's offense or defense will take longer. I mean, the obvious easy answer is just defense, but offense, you know, it is going to be a tighter, you know, he's going to see tighter spaces. Mm -hmm. But the reason I have an issue with some of these guys that you've listed here with uh, Luka guarding them is, dude, he he will get bullied. (laughs) Yeah, he can. Here's the the thing. I think – I think Luka does play the four. I think, and he defends the fours. Because just from experience uh, and looking at the guys that are on this list, which are your Marquise Chris, your Jermichael Green, your Julius Randle, your Aldridge, your Favors, Aminu, that type of guy, I feel like once you flip that switch and the possession changes and you're running back down, I feel like finding one of those dudes and just honestly putting a body on them is way easier than Luca running down there and finding whatever the three is. I feel like that takes way less of a mental toll on him. And if it is favors just literally 
uh, on the elbow running and setting screens. I can live with that. I think Barnes and him can be fine defending fours, and it's kind of pick your poison of what the roster, what the entire roster is. How does their three play? How does their four play? Right. Um, well, I'll tell you the other thing is, is that no one's even discussed the idea that he could play in the backcourt. Yeah. You know, that he could, because the main thing I saw him suck at, <laughs> frankly, mm-hmm. that he has a long way to go with, yeah. is just he can be screened very that's, easily. That's the problem. And so if he's guarding your two and a four or five tries to come screen him, mm-hmm. it is not pretty. The lateral, the lateral movement is going to be a little bit of an issue. Him in space is going to be an issue. Changing his direction laterally, that's a big issue. And that's, that's what getting around screens is. Right. It's, it's shuffling with a guy, and then you have you know, adverse influence from the weight of another human knocking you off your path and recovering. I feel like whatever, whatever you need to roll him at, whether it's three or four depending on the team you're playing, whatever leaves him the fewest opportunities to be caught in space and to be screened twice on a possession, right. and he's, he ends up on the wrong side of the floor. As you're, as you know, Ariza's running off somebody, or just I'm just thinking of game one. Um, but well, fill in your blank three. You know, this was somewhat an issue for Dennis for different reasons. Um, it's not necessarily because he's not fast enough to, but there were definitely times where he looked like he didn't know what to do after he had been screened. Mm-hmm. And really, if you want to talk big picture, the future of the next five years of the Mavericks and how good they ultimately can be almost completely hinges on the ceiling defensively for Smith and for Luca, for sure, because they're going to figure it out offensively eventually. Like, yeah. like this year, I think their defense will be better than their offense. In four years, I think they could be an effing supernova offensively, like yeah. top five offense type thing. I just, I don't think that'll happen in year one. It might not happen in year two. I'm pretty sure about that part. Yeah, but you can't be a contender unless you're top ten in both, or you have LeBron. Yeah, so that's where I think because who knows, maybe DeAndre. Even if he is here next year, and we're talking three, four years from now when the offense is great, DeAndre's not going to be you know, an anchor when he's 35. He might not be in the league, for yeah. all we know. So really, it comes down to, can those two guys eventually become at least average defenders for their position? And a big part of that is finding out, at least in Luka's case, who's he guarding. Yeah, I think when Dennis is 24 and Luka is 23 which is literally four years from now. That is so weird to me, man. It's still so strange. <laughs> when they're both on, or when Dennis is on the last year of his rookie contract and we're deciding to pick up his option and extend him, and Luca's on the second to last year when you can uh, opt in for that uh, that fifth year, uh, I'd be willing to put money right now that they're a top five offense. Yeah, I if would they, too. If, if they aren't, something's gone wrong. Yeah. Um, And to that point... Filling in a roster around dudes that aren't uh, just league average defensively in your backcourt, or your two primary ball handlers, let's put it that way. Sure. Because backcourt is misleading with those two guys. Um, I think it's very, very difficult to find the right kind of guy to put around two heavy usage guys that are below league average def- defensively. It's the 3 and D guy that's getting paid above his production at right now in the league. Like that's that's that that's the archetype. It's that type of dude. And you're gonna need two of those guys to sub in around them. So I do think the highest the highest possible outcome for those two dudes here as Mavericks, and hopefully they're here the rest of their careers and retire here. 
but I'm saying this in the, on their rookie contracts is them getting league average defensively. Yeah. And I don't think there's any way around that. No, I agree. And if you think it's a homer thing to say that they should be top five, I mean, you don't spend your first pick one year on a point guard and then the next year give up two first-round picks mm-hmm. to have so three, a guy. Three first-round picks. Basically, your... three first-round picks for two guys who are completely offense-first players mm-hmm. without expecting to be sniffing the top five. Yeah, and I think that's the right way to build because I think offensive basketball is 60% of the game right now. It might be more, but yeah. I mean, six, 65, I'd be willing to go as high as 65 because yeah. you can start a guy that is elite offensively. You're not going to start a guy uh, that has nothing on offense. It's yeah. just It doesn't happen anymore. Deshaun Stevenson starting at two, it doesn't happen anymore. Situationally, you can you know get away with it, but you're not going yeah, the long haul with it. exceptionally rare. Um, but to get back to the point of, I think at this point, if the Mavs are trying to make the playoffs, which I truly believe they are, I truly believe they think they're going to be 40-plus wins, um, be sniffing the playoffs at some point. Hopefully they start off hot with some of the injuries in the Western Conference and the weird situations that are going on in the Western Conference that we'll talk about later. I feel like uh, I feel like Luka's strength right now, what you have if you roll the ball out right now without any progress being made, I feel like his strength and ability to keep a four from bullying him is greater than than him being able to fight off screens and operate defensively in space. That's probably true. He's and, also just going to have to not get discouraged because oh, it is sure. going to be very, very tough for him for probably the first time in his life. Yeah. And I worried about that some with Dennis last year. I think he, you know, there were definitely some bumps where mm-hmm. he didn't seem super into it. Yeah. Um, But that's to be expected. And I think he seems, he already seems like a different dude to me just going into year two he seems like a pro now Mm -hmm. and if you get that same jump from Luca from year one to year two just in mindset then people could be in trouble (laughs) yeah well and athleticism like oh yeah for sure that's the first thing Rick brought up was you know how's Luca progress you know the first question of training camp um you know how's Luca progressing like what what have you seen and he said you know uh not athletically where he needs to be right now but neither was Dennis whenever he came in and we think of Dennis as, you know, just an explosive nuclear athlete uh, in terms of leaping ability and offensive, you know, get loose stuff. He said the same thing about Dennis. He said, Dennis is night and day from last year, and I expect Luca will be whenever next year starts. And but to your point, and we've uh, we've kicked around some of these articles, I like I like teams that now run what this, what uh, cleaning the glass is calling spread. Mm-hmm. Which is basically just one big, yeah, a point guard and three wings, yep, and all three wings that can shoot, mm-hmm. and a point guard and 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 five that are lethal in the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. To me, that is that's kind of what I imagined them having a couple years ago when uh, DeAndre was going to be here the first time, and thought, all right, well, if I can play Parsons basically at the four, and then I've got I don't even remember what the lineup would have been. Monte Parsons and Wes DeAndre Wes yeah and uh, who's the point guard I'm forgetting is it Calderon? I believe that was before. Okay, um, I'm fighting somebody dumb. Just the idea that you can spread people out. I I mean the perfect scenario, which is not really one that you can categorize because it's so rare, is if your five can shoot. Yeah, like your five can shoot and is a real five, but there's mm-hmm. like four of those dudes. Right. So if in absence of that, I don't want to play two players that can't shoot. You know, yeah. there are teams that get away with it, um, but 
I really, really worry about the ceiling of a team playing two guys that can't shoot. I mean, Utah was a classic case of this for years. Mm-hmm. And- I, feel, I feel like we're one step away. Like, okay, I feel like as a blanket statement and as a person that's followed the evolution of where the league's going, the spread offense is about dribble, pass, shoot, right? Yeah. It's dribble, pass, shoot. You need the majority of your players need to be able to dribble, pass, shoot. Um, going into this year, when you play a traditional center and the lineup that the Mavs, the roster the Mavs can roll out, honestly, shooting is the biggest worry for me. I feel like we're short on the shooting. If I had to pick one area where I was like, give me one guy that uh, has this skill set, I would pick shooting. I feel like we have the dribble pass right now. And I even feel like we have the rebounding, which is probably the next tier of stuff. Uh, and rim protection, which is probably the next tier of stuff. Uh, the shooting is the issue. So I feel like it's almost like an offseason away from being the next wave of basketball that everyone else is trying to make. See, that's a big part of the reason I wanted to to figure out a way to keep Seth. Yeah, Seth and Doug. Uh, mean, especially, man, the way McDermott was hitting, moving off screens here mm-hmm. looked like what I thought he would be as an NBA player a few years ago. Um, you have to figure that Dennis will be a little bit better shoot shooting wise. Well, yeah, he's not going to take three. He's not going to be forced to take as many bad looks. Yeah, like let's be honest. And I believe his numbers on guarded uh, jump shots were actually or his unguarded jump shots were pretty good. Yeah, it his was catch just and shoots he, are good. Yeah, but the Mavericks were last in the league in points off of live rebounds last year. Uh, they were last in the league in points of transition. We already said that mm-hmm. they were close to last in the league on points off of steals. Uh, and I think all of that will change. Yeah. And so even if your shooting doesn't come for another year, all that stuff, points off rebounds, points in transition, points off of steals, that's changing this year. Yeah, and that, that influences games as much as anything. And uh, I think we've said it, I've said it a thousand times. As a Maverick fan, if you watch in the majority of the games, you're going to have a little, you're, you're going to take some adjustment. Your eyeballs are going <laughs> to have to take some adjustment because – what people are obsessed with right now is obviously the dribble pass shoot, but what what carries on night from night is that kind of transition from offense to defense, getting the board, getting the block, getting the second chance points, running, cranking the pace up because you actually have the rebound yeah, and you have multiple ball handlers that can run it up and not having to baby the basketball, which the Mavs have had to do for about three years now which is this better be an open look because we're not getting the ball back. Yeah. And you better get back. Don't even crash. So, interestingly, something that I was thinking about as well, you put on the rundown here, and that's talking about what sort of defense the Mavericks will play. Mm -hmm. And they actually did force, I think they probably, they were top five in mid-range shots forced last year. Yeah. Uh, And they don't really give up anything in the paint. No. Um, Again, as you said, when you get there, you're you're golden. You're scoring it, yeah. (laughs) But as far as just, uh, you know, they don't give up a ton of points in the paint. They force a lot of mid-range shots. I think that's why their defense was decent. Yeah. Um, and that's, to me, a system and a coaching thing because they didn't exactly have a ton of elite defensive players. Right. Now you're adding an elite defensive player. Granted, you're inserting another subpar one into your starting lineup. But I think, I kind of think that it'll be more of the same almost. Yeah. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if they do get more, if there's more attempts in the paint um, just because they'll be playing, you know, a slightly different style of defense, whereas, like, people want to pull Dirk away, you know? So, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah, and the thing that 
uh, kind of stood out to me from this cleaning the glass article on you know what mid range basketball is about and how the Spurs utilize it so so lethally is basically whenever you everyone's getting away from the mid range shot, and as coaches you kind of you make a choice at some point. You decide where you want to give up shots, what kind of offense you want to be. Do you want to be a Houston? You know, that's been very effective. And there have been teams that have copied, copied that and been very effective at it. Of It's a layup or it's a three. Well, San Antonio's kind of bucked that. They've said, you know what? We're going to add LaMarcus Aldridge. We're going to let him shoot mid-rangers all day. We're going to add, you know, we're going to let Kawhi pull up and shoot mid-range shots. And we're going to let Tony Parker get to his spots. And we're going to let Patty Mills do the same thing. And what comes of that... The side effect, the symptom of mid-range shots is you don't turn the ball over. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why the Mavericks haven't been a fast break team because they, they're forcing mid-range shots, which are one of the least efficient shots in basketball, but you're also not forcing turnovers, so you don't speed the game up. Your pace is slowed down. Your fast break points are non-existent. So I think you keep that defense, even if it means you're not forcing turnovers. Because with DeAndre, you can run off a miss. And the advantage you're going to have with uh, with second chance points on the other end once you get down there. And all this kind of ties into fast break points versus early offense. Which if you want to hear a big nerd out about that, me and Bobby did a podcast about that uh, about a month ago. Um, about early offense versus fast break points versus forcing turnovers. And when the Mavs were elite a couple years ago, whenever they were about to set the record for offensive efficiency with a team that really had no business doing that, mm-hmm. uh, the Jameer Nelson into Rondo year, those first two months, I think until basically until they traded for Rondo, what the trick was, they weren't a fast break team. They weren't ridiculous at shooting threes. They shot about, you know, top five, top five in the league, which is, that's a Carlisle thing. We're going to shoot a lot of threes. That's just going to happen. Yeah. Um, the pace wasn't cranked up. It was early offense. It was get down there, one, two passes, find the mismatch, find them still scrambling to get back and get their heads turned around, and score the basketball, get a good look. And I think we can get back to that. I think they have the offensive firepower to do that. And just literally, it's not four guys sprinting on a fast break filling the lane. It's getting down and finding the open guy. And I think it's also secondary action because they now have another guy who can handle the ball and is not Wes. Mm -hmm. Because... You know, it's kind of, it kind of sucks at the end of the day that he's going to have a really strange legacy as a Maverick because... There's no doubt. You know, he was just kind of thrust into a really funky situation with DeAndre leaving. They paid him a ton of money the year before the cap went up. If that deal had happened in the following summer, nobody would have blinked at it. Right. Because most people don't think of contracts as a percentage of the cap, especially in a league where the cap is as volatile as it is in the NBA. You should, but we don't. So he had 17 a year on a 59 or $60 million cap. Well, for most of his... The life of that deal, he was playing under a cap that was so much higher. In any case, he was not only, you know, kind of snake bit by the contract, at least publicly, he was also miscast because right. he's not beating anybody off of the dribble. Mm-hmm. But he really doesn't even beat anybody off of, you know, whenever he's catching the ball and moving, he just can't do it for the most part, not consistently. So they were kind of asking him to be what I think they're going to ask Luca to be this year which is a secondary guy who, if the pick-and-roll doesn't work, they can swing to the weak side, they can reverse the ball and try again. Wes is not doing that. Mm-hmm. So now uh, I think that even if it's early offense doesn't even to me necessarily mean that the attempt comes early in the clock. It means you're trying to get it early in the clock 
And if it doesn't happen, we don't just have to walk the ball back out right. and now go into one-on-one offense. Now it we're going to start early and we're going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And like I said last week, so that there's more chances for you to screw up yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to cover us. So to me, that's the thing is that it's not one time and we're done. Mm-hmm. And I think they're all pretty aware of how they're going to play already. Um, I know it's the second day of training camp today, but those guys have been playing together for about a month. Yeah, uh, Luke has been in here for three weeks playing games with all the guys, and Wes talked about it yesterday whenever we, we asked him, you know, how do you see the offense working? How does it flow um, now that Dirk's on the bench, et cetera? And he said, you know, there's four guys, uh, and you kind of divide up halves of the court, and it's pick and roll with a shooter, weak side, and then you reverse the ball, and it's pick and roll with a shooter, weak side. And the shooters are Barnes and Wes, and the pick and roll guys are Dennis and Luca. And I think other teams are going to have real headaches trying to figure out how to play Luca early on. Oh, for sure. There's no like, doubt about it. I mean, he's the first few times that he, uh, as a as a secondary action, just smokes somebody with a pass. They're yeah. going to think, do I need to start? Uh, and really, it probably comes down to whenever his, his shot starts to fall, too, mm-hmm. because then you're going to have to actually stick to him. No, I think he's going to be a freak with the ball, even if he's the secondary ball handler. Yep. They uh, were, I believe, let's see here, they were third in the league, fifth in the league, in attempts taken with four to zero seconds left on the shot clock. God. And they were second to last in shots taken um, between 22 and 18. And that's just that's just not going to – I mean, that's that's, not that's, how you know that whenever you look work. at their pace. Yeah. But I'm not – I didn't draft a guy that I feel like might be able to go play slot receiver in the NFL to run my offense that late. Yeah. That's just not that's they don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, that's that that was more of a function of them trying to gum the game up, but yeah. that is definitely not ideal whenever you have Smith Jr. on the floor. That's that's fighting against the tide. You're like you're like yelling, yelling at the ocean as it keeps rolling in right. on you. Um with late in the shot clock shots, which it some teams can pull that off. I remember a couple of years ago, um, the Heat came in here for a, a game. It was whenever uh, Luol Deng was still really, really solid. They started playing with the four, which was just crazy at the time. And it was one of those Heat teams where everybody contributes, and it's kind of you know it's a typical Heat team, where you're not sure if they're like a great playoff team or a bad team. And then they came in and they hit like every stinking shot with five seconds left in the shot clock. And I'm like, what in yeah, the hell is that. happening? Yeah, I was like, what is going on? The Heat are beating our asses by shooting the ball. With five seconds left in the shot clock, this is not how basketball works. And I looked it up, and they were just really good at it. Yeah. And I don't know if that's luck. I don't know if that's veteran guys that don't freak out whenever the shot clock hits seven. Um, they're fine, you know, taking two dribbles and pulling up. That's not where basketball is going. That is not where the league is evolving towards. The Mavericks actually shot the ball pretty well in those late situations, but I do think that's a veteran thing. And I also think that's having guys who can, again, you don't want to lean on it, but that they can beat you in isolation post-up type. Yeah. Look, most of Barnes's frustrating and then sometimes actually successful possessions where he was isolated or post-ups, those mm-hmm. all happened with three seconds left on the shot clock. Oh, yeah. So it's just kind of less of this in our diet, but it's yeah. still there if they need it. It's it's that point in roster building and team building and just reconstruction, basically, when you have the option and you have the luxury to stop being a triage team. Yeah. Where the other team doesn't dictate what you do. And I don't know if that happens immediately this year. 
I don't know if it takes half the season. I don't even know if it's in the next year. But with DeAndre, I feel like it's immediate. Yeah, it's, I agree. It's right now. It's day one. It's You're no longer a triage team. You're no longer um, being influenced entirely and compromised entirely by the five guys that the other team rolls out. And I will finish this by saying I could do an entire episode once we kind of, I guess once we start to see how the minutes shake out, it'll be easier. But they are going to be a top three offensive rated bench unit. Oh, yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I was going to say one. Yeah. Although there are some teams, you know, that don't play their bench guys that much who then when they do play them, their numbers are a little bit, again, strange because, Mm -hmm. but I think the Mavericks, if you just wanted to use actual raw counting stats of bench points scored, they'll probably be number one. Yeah. Because they're still going to play Berea and Dirk a lot. Those guys Mm -hmm. are still going to play 20 to 25 minutes a night. And you're, and so will Pal. You know, yeah. like in that fifteen range, and you're you're just not going to stop them. Yeah, it's it's Berea, Pal, Dirk. Um, who else is going to be on that bench unit? You think that's like going to get minutes every single night? Uh, you can't roll Maxi with those two other dudes in there. I don't feel. It, I guess it kind of also depends on despite the fact that I think Brunson deserves minutes. I think Brunson might be your other guy that you throw out there. I think I think then and then you mix in you know. Luca or Dennis or whoever is still hanging over from that starting unit because no one ever subs <laughs> all fives. No, that's another thing to, to talk about too eventually is just how we think the minutes will stagger out because in my yeah. mind, they should never have... It would be ideal to me to not ever have both Smith Jr. and Doncic off the floor. Yeah, that's that's the thing I think we need to build towards as as an offensive team is there's never a point in a basketball game in which Dennis and Luca are off the court. Yeah, because even if even if Doncic is out there with uh, Devin Harris and he's out there with JJ, and he's not really running the offense, I still want him out there. Yeah, because Beret is a ball hog. Like mm-hmm. I mean that in the most endearing of terms. When he's on the floor, he's got the ball. Yeah, that's fine. I, I still think Doncic should be out there for most of those minutes. Yeah, I think I think here it is. Here's my here's my bench unit. Whenever an actual bench unit is playing, I think it's Berea. I think it's Brunson, I think it's Devin Harris, and I think it's Dirk and Dwight. Yeah. I think that's it. I think it's three guards uh, to generate offense. Devin is the only <laughs> one of those dudes that I truly trust anybody on a second unit. That's a that's an elite score, but it is what it is. Um, I think that's a pretty nitro <laughs> offensive rating right there. And then eventually what you want to have happen is either this year or next year, you want to take – Harris out of that and have mm-hmm. Doncic or Smith Jr. out there with that unit. Yeah. At least for most of it. I think that's ideal. But uh, do you want to talk about any of these other storylines five years from now, this sort of thing? Yeah, we can dive into that. Or a year or, from uh, now? Yeah, a year from now. Let's, let's I dive think into people that. are bearing the Warriors too early. I heard Skin talking about this the other day, and I don't think it's close to over. You don't think so? I really don't, man. I think I mean, you think you think Boogie... Clay. I don't know about Boogie. Okay, that's what I'm saying. But I think I'm not, that, I'm not burying them. I think that the uh, your Curry, Draymond, and Clay. I think those guys are going to be Warriors for life. That might be that might be right. But I'm talking about this this starting five, the the dream team, the the greatest you know most accomplished starting five in NBA history, uh, maybe outside of some of those Bill Russell Celtics. Um, 
I think this is the one in the one season. Yeah, I I don't think Boogie plans on sticking around. I mean, he'll win a ring or he'll yeah. get close, and then someone will pay him. Yeah, to let him be the guy, and mm-hmm. they'll probably regret that. Yeah, and I don't um, even know if it's the the mentality of like I don't even I don't know Kevin Durant like I don't know what that guy's like I I feel like I know Boogie a little bit better um but I feel like a a very dangerous thing has happened um with their acquisition of Boogie it's I understand it I completely understand the the thinking that Steve Kerr has and it's um okay these guys kind of lollygagged through a lot of games last year and gave up games where they had no business giving up games and I need somebody to light a fire under their ass. And Draymond's been there for six, seven years. Like no one wants to hear him anymore, right? Yeah. So you so you you bring in you bring in a jerk. It's the Bulls bringing in Rodman, right? It's it's the guy that gets you just visceral reaction of let's go kill this other team. That's hard to get to. It's hard to get to boil whenever you're that stinking good of a basketball team and you know you can turn it on for two minutes and end the game. But I think something the really dangerous part to me is instead of waiting until the playoffs to turn on, and it took them, I don't know, game six of the Western Conference last year before I saw the Warriors really, really put it on somebody and give a crap. I think the new deadline, the new, oh, let's look to this point, is when Boogie comes back. Yeah. So it might be January. Safe bet. Safe bet, middle of January, second, first game after the All-Star break, or February, whatever, whatever, whatever the time frame is, January, February, early February. I feel like that's the new, let's start giving a crap at this point timeline. And if that doesn't go perfectly, or if Boogie's frustrated, or if first three games Boogie has nine shots a game, or eight shots a game, or something like that, I feel like you've just, you just cut the fuse a little bit shorter. <laughs> And it's definitely an interesting chemistry experiment, you know, because they're trying to basically keep they're playing freaking Jenga. Yeah. <laughs> they're just trying over and over to be like, I bet we can do another one. Yeah. I, I bet we I, can do another yeah, one. We'll Watch stack this. another one on top. And, you know, Nick you're, Young, what the hell? Let's you're do probably it. right. I, yeah, exactly. I do think they're going to have some he's going to be a problem for them at times. Yeah. But I still think if he starts bitching, they just jettison him and move on. Yeah. And but that's going to be after the season. Maybe, but like, what if he's causing a problem in March? I don't think there's anything you can do about it. Man, I don't know. I think they would just. Tell I think him, you convince yourself that oh, let's wait until the playoffs start. Let's wait until these maybe games yeah. Matter. That might be what happens, and it, I do think though that they're so talented, and we're all we've seen it for so long that we're kind of bored with how good they are, and we, oh, we are. we forget it absolutely. They're still probably the greatest collection of talent ever assembled. So yeah, and and look, they were a game away from getting knocked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it isn't like it's not possible, but I think the Rockets are going to take a step back. Yeah. Um, I think losing Ariza is going to hurt them more than yeah. probably first thought. And the Lakers aren't ready. And so I still think I think they could be 15% worse than they were last year and still get to the finals. Oh, so do I. Now, the, now the Celtics present a real issue for them. Yeah. Um, but as far as just getting to the finals, I don't think that's – I think they're going to be fine on that front, and I – they have a strange collection with at least uh, KD, Clay, and Curry of guys that I think have a very out of whack ego to talent ratio. <laughs> they should be more. They should be bigger jerks than they are. Yeah, 
And I am not a fan of Kevin Durant's personality, but I more mean that he does seem like he'll kind of go. None of them are Kobe, yeah, who thinks that they're the most important guy everywhere they go. So I think they'll be fine on that front. To me, the uh, one of my one of the things that I worry about the most with the Mavericks a few years from now is the Lakers, and it has nothing to do with LeBron. It's all these dudes that they have, a lot of which I like, learning to play with LeBron for a couple years, so that whenever Dennis is twenty four and Lucas twenty three. Now I've got these four dudes who grew up playing with LeBron and that I, that I think are really good and a coach that I kind of trust, mm-hmm. a style of play that I like. They play very fast, and I th- I think even without LeBron, the Lakers might be like a top-four team in five years if they keep the guys they have. I like their roster. It's it's very possible, and I feel, that, that kind of reminds me of like the Lakers whenever Shaq left, right? Yeah. Like you still had a reason. You still had a lot of really good bench players and a really solid young team, and then – oh, let's get Pau Gasol, let's draft Andrew Bynum and trickle those guys into this unit, and then, okay, oh, crap, we're winning three We're in three finals again. Yeah, I mean, because they'll add vets. They're always going to add vets because they're in L.A., but yeah. Ball, Ingram, Kuzma, Hart, mm-hmm. that's pretty good, man. Yeah, no, that's a really good young core. That's a very – I'd be envious of that core. Right. You know what I mean? Just about anywhere around the league. That's why – I mean, I've been hoping for the Lakers to pull a trade to to shorten their window to for Expedite their yeah. – yes. I mean, that, I kind of was too. I was hoping when LeBron got there, it was like, all right, we're pushing all of our chips in to be good right now. Yes. The fact that he was like, y'all figure this out. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be fine I'll give, for a I'll little give you while. A year. I'll give you a year to figure this very, thing out. Still very strange in retrospect. It's weird for a 33-year-old dude to do that. For him. Yeah, for like him. For the ultimate, all I care about is being in the finals every year guy to just kind of be like, Bleh. Yeah, I'm going to take a year to make some movies. So, how about that? I'll see strange. you next season. Let's make some movies. Um, but I guess to wrap up the Golden State thing is I think if I had to put money on what configuration of the Golden State Warriors are rolling out preseason game one next year, I think it's lean, mean Warriors. I think it's Curry, Clay, Draymond. And I can't tell you the other guys that are going to be involved, but I don't think it's Kevin Durant. I don't think it's Boogie. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know the deals. I got to look up the the length of the deals of if Clay or Draymond are up. Uh so they, so that they have Draymond is not. Clay is up next off season. Okay. Um obviously this is one thing that people don't really consider whenever they talk about, well, why that guy might want to leave to go get more. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be more. Yeah. He can still make more money by staying with Golden State. Mm-hmm. So they have to decide if they want to pay a seven hundred million dollar roster charge. Yeah. Because they're gonna be in triple repeater or two point five. But <laughs> no one's ever done that before. No one's ever done it, but I don't think they're gonna open a new arena across the bay and say, Well, now we're not paying our guys. Yeah. Because go to any sporting goods store, they sell the most jerseys. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're, they're still making money. You yeah, can, you so can pay right. fifth year luxury tax, repeater tax, and, and still they're make, still still yeah. making money. It's just Literally, no NBA franchise has ever done it before. The Mavericks were probably the Mavericks and Knicks yeah. of the mid two thousands were the closest, and we didn't have a repeater then, yeah. or at least nothing like it is now. So, yep. I mean, they. I think they might take a step back. Uh, same ilk of what the Rockets did this off season, where they kind you of mean bit, next year. Well, I mean, this, what happened to the Rockets this off season? Right. right, is they didn't they didn't sign Ariza. They went <laughs> they went the odd, weird, cheap route of getting Melo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but not bringing Ariza back, getting rid of Ryan Anderson, and I think the Rockets took a step back this offseason. Yeah. You know what I mean? While still having to pay Chris Paul max, max, max. Veteran max, I'm head of Players Association max. Uh, One more quick one here. Let's do one of these tweets. We kind of talked about some of this stuff. We'll save some of it uh, also for next time. But yep. what do you think this year looks like for Dodo? 
because you just went through a bench yeah. unit and didn't even name him. Yeah. And I like the idea of him a lot. Sure. I just never – I don't totally know if I ever see him being passable enough on offense to get real run. I think he's a 10 minutes a game guy. Um, and I think what's what's happened – and the cool thing about drafting a guy instead of trading for a guy or, you know, going the other route is you just kind of like supplement talent and then people slide down your bench and Dirk's now on the bench. And now Dwight Powell plays a little – a fewer minutes maybe. And that all that all that's to be said of – Okay, you start sliding the bars down for everyone, and I Maxi was you know twenty two minutes last year. Yeah, Maxi's probably gonna be a sixteen a minute a game uh, a minute guy. And now, where are the minutes for Dorian Finney Smith? And I think he gets rolled out um, maybe end of second quarter if someone starts lighting them up on the opposing bench unit because he might be the best wing slash three four three four defender for sure of that bench unit. Like he's the only guy I see on that bench where I'm like, yeah, I think he could d up just about yeah anybody on another bench that rolls out there. You know, anybody else's seventh or eighth best player. Um, so his role is going to be really weird. I do feel like he has value. I feel like he can. He's he's a really good. I don't want to say he's going to shoot a great percentage, but I I I trust that guy's shooting at this point. Man, I don't. I I like him at least in off season. Like he's impressed me just watching him. Um, but. I don't know how much of a role he has anymore. Like, and I feel bad. There's definitely a point at which you are no longer uh, playable three point wise if you're a wing. And yeah. in before he got hurt last year, uh, small sample, but in eight games he hit at 35, 36 percent. Mm-hmm. When he came back, um, slightly larger sample, it was sub 30, oh, 28, 28 three, which is unplayable. Yeah, that's unplayable. Um, so, you know, he can spot start. If mm-hmm. West, that's another thing we probably need to talk about at some point. They cannot let West Matthews play every game. Like that just is not going to work. Yeah, he's going to have to sit down some. Um, and I know he was a little more amenable to it last year, being shut down mm-hmm. and not playing basically for the last month and a half of the season. But it doesn't make any sense to just let him have full reign over his his games and minutes. Yeah. I mean, he still played 34 minutes a game last year. Yeah, that's a lot, man. That's a lot for a guy who plays like that, who's going to be 32, who wants to play every night. I think that's probably the best thing you get out of uh, Finney Smith is let him start 20 games. Maybe. Yeah. And uh, and basically play 25 minutes a night. Maybe a little bit less than that. You'll have to get your lineups a little bit reconfigured, but uh, reconfigured, but you can't let Wes just play every game if he's healthy. He needs to have maintenance time. Back to I, I back think. to backs, I think you could maybe talk him into it. Um and it's all at this point I think it's all about talking him into it <laughs> because it's a contract year for him. Um he's not stupid. He's gonna want his numbers to be as nice as possible. Um because he's talking about, you know, maybe his last contract. Yeah. Um you know, if it's a long term one, I think if he gets another four-year deal, something along that's a, that's his last contract, most likely last effective contract, at least in the league. So, I you think know what's not going to get you paid is getting hurt again. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I just I think they need him against the better teams they're going to play uh, to check <laughs> the best wing on the other team, and then you know back to back if we're heading to you know fill in your blank bottom three team in the league after that. Right. Let's uh, let's take this one off, buddy. Let's rest it up. 
Let's hit that cryo. Let's uh, let's get stronger and then come back at it. It will be interesting to see if Dirk plays every game since he's coming off the bench. Yeah, I think he, I think he does. Um, all right, let's end on this. More meaningful for the Western Conference. Booker's injury, which is a hand deal, which mm-hmm. the timeline said most likely missed the first two weeks of the season. Westbrook's knee, which he's supposed to get reevaluated basically heading into game one, which there's no there's no guarantee on any of that. Or Jimmy Butler getting moved to the Eastern Conference. Uh, I'm going to go happens. with the last one just because I think that the Timberwolves were really close. And I know they have a ton of problems, and it's all being aired out on Instagram. <laughs> but I also, uh, I don't, I think he was, I mean, well, I don't think Booker's going to matter as much for the Western Conference because I don't think the Suns are really all that close. He's a nice player, but they're not, they're not where they, enough to where they're really altering the landscape of the Western Conference. So it's down to the other two. And, I think the Timberwolves are better than the Thunder with Butler. I mean, they were the fourth seed last year. Until now, Butler four, got through seven, four through eight was really close, but right. they were the fourth seed. And I think if they were able to all play nice and that their young players cared as much as oppose, apparently Butler wants them to, I think they would be uh, easily a team that could step up and challenge Houston. There's too much talent there. Yeah. And so him wanting God is hilarious to me. Yeah. It's really weird. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't quite get it. I don't know why you can't just sleep on it. And maybe the next day, okay, let's, uh, you know, these guys are still learning. They're still super young. Like, right. let's, 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 let's have a sleep on it. Maybe talk to me in three, four days. I'll, I'll cool down. And it'll. I mean, his highest trajectory this season and into the future is with the Timberwolves. Right. So I don't understand if you do want to win now, you're not going to get sent to a team that has a better chance to win now. And one that has more like veteran leadership or whatever. Those two things just aren't going to exist. So if it's the Nets, if it's fill in the blank team, Knicks, Knicks, like I like that. I would like to see that happen, but that is not a better team. No, it's it's definitely not on the on the playoff standings at all, especially with Porzingis missing this year. And it's the Nets are reportedly you know super interested and in trying to work that out. And I'm like, man. Yeah, you're going to make the playoffs in the East. Do you can you look yourself in the mirror and go, "Yeah, we have a better chance of winning the title than with the Timberwolves." And he's also going to get there and be like, "You know what? Uh, D'Angelo Russell bothers me too. Maybe I just hate young people. <laughs> like this kid sucks. Can you trade me to the retirement home?" <laughs> exactly. Like these guys get he's me. He's not going to be any different. You remember he's got a little bit of a history himself there. Yeah, he does. Jimmy, <laughs> that he does. Well, awesome. All right, let's go watch some football. Uh, that is episode 2 of the four-pointer Jacob. Thank you. And uh, we'll be with you uh, next Monday. So check it out.